Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about the things that matter in the world of financial services. I'm Brandon Russell, online writer here at IFA Magazine, and joining me on the podcast this week is our editor, Sue Whitbread. Oh, hello, everyone. And as usual, it's Sue here again. And like Brandon said, thank you for tuning in to another episode of IFA Talk. And on the agenda this week, it's financial literacy, financial education, whatever you'd like to call it. It's something that we are very passionate about here at IFA Magazine. And I'm pleased to tell you that this week's guest feels exactly the same way as we do. And so our guest is Kristen Cunliffe. Uh, Kristen is an IFA herself. She's also managing director at Red Star Wealth and she runs Red Star Education, a company that aims to develop financial literacy skills for all. So we are really excited to revisit the topic once again. Kristen, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Brandon. It's uh, good to be here. Thank you. Oh, could we kick off then and ask you to tell us a little bit and tell our audience a little bit about you, a bit about Red Star Wealth, and also very importantly about Red Star Education. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I qualified as a, an IFA back in 2001, which in my head seems about 10 years ago, but clearly wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, and then I started Red Star Wealth, my own company in 2011. Um, so Red Star Wealth has got a couple of advisors. We're a small firm based in, in Lancashire. And to me, just being able to support our clients in a really individual way is what really appealed to me having my own business. Um, so so yeah I do that that's the, the the you know the business that I do um and then about 10 years ago I started Red Star Education um and this was on the back of some really powerful information that I had gotten hold or well not gotten hold of but powerful information that I was seeing that I was reading around the impact of financial literacy on people and how positive it can be, how empowering it can be, um, but how damaging it is if you don't have these, these skills. Um, and so about 10 years ago, um, I set up Red Star Education and the intention then was to work primarily within elite football, um, but it spread from there and it's grown a whole life of its own which is fantastic and so now the company um still works within elite sport um and also with a lot of corporate clients who i think are now more on board with the idea of embedding financial education with any other apprenticeship or training program you know that they are that they're operating with yeah so oh. We, um, yes, yeah, so we've been doing that for about 10 years. Well, sounds very good to me, Brandon. I think we got the right person for the job today. Yeah, definitely. And as you said, it's great to have you join us today. Um, should we just jump straight into it then? So why do you think impartial financial education is so important? Yeah, so I, when I started Red Star Education, I wanted to be really clear that this was about empowering people to understand the financial world um, in the UK, not about what product could we sell to them. Yeah. 
And and I believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I think it's really important to, if you're going to engage people, particularly young people with any topic, I think they can tell if you're trying to sell them something mm -hmm. and they switch off. And let's be honest, financial services yeah. <laughs> we all do it and financial services is not like the sexiest subject you'll ever teach it just isn't um as much as we try um and so I think that to be able to set out right at the beginning that this is about empowering people to understand giving them a choice of which providers they may want to seek further information from allowing them to see that you can understand finances and the way that things work without it being linked to a product I, I think that's vital and there's a lot of things that are productless so how does the tax system work in the UK I mean there's nothing to do with the product nothing to do with it whatsoever and so rather than have some elements where it will be branded or you'd be selling a product and then some that you don't to me just seems messy and I think that approaching financial education in my view should be approached like any other kind of education that it, you don't get sold a product I think that's just it's just my belief well, it's that word impartial isn't it which is so crucial yeah and it builds an element of trust and, and and we need for people to trust. Financial services has got a hard enough job as it is in the element of trust. So I think that to, to know that you can have conversations and people can ask questions uh, about their own financial situation or learning about a new financial product and not feel that this is going to result in some high pressure sales technique, I think is really important for somebody to feel comfortable um, in that conversation. And as we always say in our um, workshops and, and lessons that we provide, this is a safe financial space where you can ask all of these questions because you can be sure if somebody goes and asks that question on Google, like they're going to be inundated with adverts and, and messages about buying something. And I think that when someone feels that they're in an education environment, there should be no element of that. Hmm. And, and you actually get out there and talk to people, don't you? I know that. Uh, yes <laughs> all over yes we do all over the UK we um we go so, so well I should I should say England and Wales actually because at the moment we haven't ventured into Scotland we'd love to but but obviously the rules are slightly different there. Oh, well that's very good and even if you can just help people cut through the jargon of which there is so much in financial services isn't there and again that's a great first base you are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Oh, Kristen, we're, clearly you and Brandon and I are all in agreement that there's clearly a need for greater financial education for all and at all levels, whether that's at school or at college or adulthood. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are as to some solutions, the solution, or I should say the solutions that you think today's young people 
need to help them become more financially literate? Yeah, I could sum it up really easily. It like, more investment, and and that would be it, wouldn't it? More investment, but it's investment in the right things in the right places as well as more of it. I believe that technology holds a great power and and podcasts like this obviously really help. We run our own podcast um, from Red Star Education where we talk about individual topics concerning financial um, matters. And I think that giving that kind of resource away is our way of helping. But I think that it needs an investment in teaching this on a practical level without putting an over-reliance on either the maths teacher, poor maths teachers just get this dumped on them. And um, and it's not all maths, is it? Like we no. know that it's not really? all maths. And the minute that you say you're going to learn this in maths, all the people who hate maths go... I don't want to do that. Okay, it's not about that. It isn't about that. Understanding the concept of organising your car insurance is not maths. So so let's not dump it all on them. But I do think we have to support teachers somehow if we're going to ask teachers to deliver this because they have to understand the topic too. And you have to give sufficient resources for that. We can't just keep piling this on to under-resourced schools as it is. Equally, I don't think that it's fair to say to the financial services um, profession, go and do this for free. Why should we? Why should we do this for free? And I think as soon as you say that something is free, um, you can call it pro bono if you like, but what we mean is free, there is less value attached to it. So actually, there is a whole bunch of resources that are out there and um, provided by the government that schools can use within a school for free, but they don't use them. Well, why do they not use them? Either because the teacher doesn't know how to do it or they don't see any value in something that's just being given for free. And people in financial services have to earn a salary or, or run their business just the same as everybody else. And so you might feel, well, I'll do this once or twice for my local high school, or maybe it might be, you know, because my child is there and I feel I want to give back. But is that fair? And is it consistent? And do you always have, do we always have to have the um, IFA community giving of its time and services for free? So I question where the funding that is allocated to financial education, I question where it goes uh, that produces actual practical solutions. Um, And I think that that's what we need. I think we need solutions that have been created by people who are in financial services, yes, for the technical knowledge, but also the people who actually know how to deliver financial uh, well any kind of education because you can be the greatest certified you know certified or chartered planner in the world but does that mean you can stand up there in front of a bunch of 16 year olds and talk to them it doesn't does it so no. I think that it takes a very definite 
combination of skills um and i think that the, these people do exist all over the place but they're not going to give their services away for free and and the government should not be expecting that to happen in my opinion mm. and from a government perspective the the economic consequences of doing that would be vast wouldn't they I mean, we've got years of underperforming economy of lack of productivity and helping people to understand the financial world would really help. Sorry to interrupt, but you could you imagine if, if people had a better understanding of finances, how to manage their money, how to, you know, to feel empowered and brave enough to live their life where they wouldn't mind trying to move up, you know, whatever sort of social scale, um, to better themselves, not be so reliant on, on benefits and so on and so forth, not have so much debt. The positivity that comes from that understanding so so much better for our mental well-being and our resilience I mean it's huge to me I just don't feel that enough is being done on an actual practical delivery and yet there's many organizations myself being one of them but there's plenty that we have met over the years um who have got really brilliant people in there, but they can't do this for free. They can't. And and the government shouldn't be expecting that, really. But nor should they think we'll just create a whole load of expensive resources that teachers actually will be too frightened to use. They've tried that before and failed, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and you've got to learn from these things and think that's not working. You can download whatever worksheet you like, but if the teacher doesn't feel empowered to go and talk about it, but the same thing's happening. I know a number of teachers, the same thing's happening, you know, with a number of other topics that aren't considered the core. And I just wonder if we brought financial education into being one of those high priority topics would we be doing better and if you talk to parents of I mean or just any adult to be honest they're like oh I wish I'd learn it at school this is what we should be teaching at school why are we working out the area of an isosceles triangle when we don't understand tax like so yeah. if yeah. we prioritized it I think we would be doing better no, it's music to my ears and and obviously from an, from a very early age too, isn't it? Getting people familiar with the concepts of finances, of credit cards, of paying national insurance, of mortgages and what these things actually are and how they work and how you can really come a cropper. Uh, it's all it's all a huge subject which we can only scratch the surface of today. So earlier on, Kristen, you mentioned that Red Star Education has been going for about 10 years. How has the provision for and discussion about financial education changed in that time? I think with employers and with, um, so in our environment that we work a lot in, as I said before, in, in elite sport, the desire to have financial education as part of an overall well-being focus um, has increased hugely. And that's a brilliant thing. I believe it's more recognised now the impact of not great financial pressures. You know, if we're worried about debt, if we're you know worried about the cost of living, I think people appreciate now so much more how that impacts on our mental well-being and therefore performance and 
things like that. So I think there's a much more open conversation of people willing to um, discuss the place of financial education within their school, college, academy, workplace, whatever it is. But I've also noticed that across the board, there's a bigger conversation about money. I'm going to credit a little bit Martin Lewis with this. <laughs> I think he's brought money into our consciousness and made it okay to, to have these um, conversations about things like that and people being more aware of their consumer rights and so on and so forth, which is great. But I also think the increase in access to technology and social media platforms has also created a bit of a negative side as well, where 10 years ago, I think if you put on Facebook, you know, you wanted to know about financial education, you'd possibly wouldn't get very far. Whereas now we have TikTok, we have Snapchat, we have all of these things. And if you mention financial education, you kind of get swarmed by the get rich quick you'll make three million pounds out of crypto type people. They're not a good thing, but they exist in a world now where we didn't have that 10 years ago. So I think there's more things for people to be vigilant about in terms of scams or things not being um, you know, quite as they think. Whereas as maybe 10 years ago, I don't think those particular types of, um, of things around financial literacy existed so I see part of what we do is trying to highlight to people if you are going to go online and look for information yourself almost how to recognize what is legitimate information and what isn't helping them take personal responsibility really isn't it for some of the decisions that they have to make and we are having to become more personally responsible whereas 20, 30 years ago, everyone had a, a lovely uh, pension scheme, superannuation scheme provided by their employer. They had uh, accident and sickness cover provided automatically. These days, that's not the case. And people move jobs much more frequently now. Absolutely. And that and the working economy is so much different. As you say, people tend not to just stay in the same job, but people mm. will very often have two or three different sources of income mm. and much more um open to the idea of working for themselves rather than working for an employer and and so on so there's an awful lot I think of differences that people should learn about now that just the, it just is ever evolving everything about financial services is ever evolving it's why we all have to keep up to date with our CPD <laughs> and you know and sitting our exams and things isn't it because we know how how different things are and and the, you know the investment area that people will be looking at now is is different to 10 years ago when Red Star Education started and hugely different to to 20 years ago 23 years ago when I qualified so I think that education has to keep up with the changing um, world of finance and I wonder sometimes whether this is part of the problem with the provision of financial education that the wheels there turn very slowly and you know a curriculum that needs to react quickly it, it's almost like those things are at cross purposes. Oh Christine you, your enthusiasm is really infectious and I take my hat off to you for being so proactive for going out there and 
getting and doing things, you know, doing things to help people. It's fantastic. And wouldn't it be great if those advisors who are listening to us today would start to think about some of the things that they could do in the way that you have? Just smaller things that can help to boost financial literacy in this super complicated world that we all live in now. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for telling us a little bit about what you've done. And and obviously, thank you to our audience as well for tuning in. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed talking to you. We could go on for quite a long time. I get that feeling. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like my passion um, for this thing. But yeah, and if other people think think the same, then it's just looking at ways of saying, what could I do? But underneath it, I feel that, that as a profession, we have to be really careful of not shouldering all of the burden for free because it's not for us to do it all unless you know, we're going to be, you know, seen as educators as well. And, and then you have to do two jobs like I do. <laughs> Wise words. Wise words indeed. Kristen, thank you very much. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.